Welcome to the I Am Persuaded podcast with Travis Shelton. Our desire is to provide weekly encouragement and biblical truths so that you too can be persuaded that He is able. Thanks for joining us on this episode. Now, let's hear what Pastor Travis has to say. Welcome back to the I Am Persuaded podcast. I'm excited for another week that we get to spend studying God's Word together. And thank you to those of you that have listened to both episodes the past couple of weeks. I'm excited when I hear your text messages or speak to you in person about how you're enjoying this podcast. That really does encourage and bless me. And so thank you so much for that. Uh, I asked you a couple of weeks ago on social media to send me your questions about the Bible. If you had any kind of question about Scripture, something you did not understand, something you were confused about, maybe it's something with society that you just want to see how that aligns with God's Word. Have you send those to me? And thank you to those of you that did that. But if you have a question that you would like to be submitted, text it to me, email me, uh, Facebook Messenger me, DM me on Instagram, however it may be. Just get me those questions because I'm excited uh, to answer those biblically so that you can be more persuaded that He is able in your life. And today we're going to start that question and answer style podcast with one question. The question is, can a Christian lose their salvation? Now, this is a very controversial topic among different denominations. And so in no way, I just want to say this off the start, in no way am I trying to cause conflict, in no way am I trying to cause um, uh, an argument, but all I want to do is explain biblically what I believe God's Word has to say about this issue and about this topic. And I do not want you to listen to my words as much as I want you to listen to God's word. And so what I want you to do is through the various verses that we're going to look at, I want you to draw your own conclusion as to can a Christian lose their salvation. My simple answer right now is absolutely not. A Christian cannot lose their salvation. But I don't want you, like I said, to listen to my words as much as I want you to hear what God's word has to say about this issue. What we're going to do is we're going to look at the Trinity, the Godhead. We're going to see what God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit all do inside of our salvation, how they orchestrated it, how they brought it together, how we are saved, and in essence, how that secures us as a believer. I want to say this right off the start. Security and salvation is based solely on the grace of God. Security and salvation is based solely on the grace of God. And so you say, why is that? Salvation apart from Jesus and his grace cannot be obtained. And so if we cannot obtain salvation anywhere else, we cannot obtain security anywhere else. So many people in the church today do not have assurance of their salvation. And let me say this, a lack of assurance does not mean a lack of security. A lack of assurance does not result in a lack of security. We need to realize that assurance and security are two different things. Security is different from assurance in being one is eternally secured, even though he might not be assured of it. Assurance is a completely different doctrine. So let me say that again. One is eternally secured, even though he might not be assured of it. And so just because you lack the assurance that you are secured does not mean you are not secured in your salvation with Jesus. So it's true with the atheist who denounces Christ and says Christ is dead and Christ has not risen. That does not mean Christ is not risen. That does not mean Christ is not the Savior of the world just because one person says it's not true. So it's true with your security. Just because you do not have the assurance of it yet, that does not mean you're not secured 
in your relationship with Jesus. There are many different reasons people lack assurance. I'll give you a couple of them, for example. Some doubt if they are if they're really committed to Christ. Some are confused. Well, I keep sinning. I keep having temptation. Am I truly committed to Christ? Because the Bible says I'm a new creature once I'm in Christ. So what's going on there? And the truth of the matter is, once you come to Christ, that does not mean you're sinless. That simply means you're justified and you are to walk daily in your sanctification, striving to be like Jesus. So the Bible is very clear that if we say we have no sin, we call God a liar and God is absolutely not a liar. Number two, some doubt if they did it right. A lot of times in our Christian faith, we've elevated a method of salvation to that of doctrine and Bible. So some will say, well, if you didn't go to an altar you didn't really get saved. That's not true. You can get just as much saved in your car, in your prayer closet, in your bedroom, or on the altar. So there's no, did I do it right? All that matters is, did you place your faith, hope, and trust in Jesus and Jesus alone for salvation? Number three, if someone doesn't believe in eternal security, they will lack a piece of assurance. And so we're looking here at many reasons why people lack assurance. And so if someone simply doesn't believe in eternal security, they will lack the peace of of assurance. And let me tell you this right now. If God's word claims he offers us a peace that surpasseth all understanding, he offers us a peace that can only come from him, why would he not give us eternal security? Because if we lack the peace of assurance, that's the worst I mean, that's the worst feeling we can ever have. Am I really saved? Did this sin take away my salvation? And so that causes us to not live in the peace that he offers us. And lastly, when a believer sins, they fear they cannot be saved because they have sinned. And we talked about that in the first point there really quickly. If we say we have no sin, we call God a liar. Romans says, for all of sin to come short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. The Bible says in the Old Testament, our best works are as filthy rags before the Lord. And so we are all sinners and we sin constantly. We sin daily. Though we should be striving to live like Jesus, we still have not received our glorified bodies. We still have not entered into heaven to live with him forever. The Christian life, biblically, is never called sinless. In fact, we are told many times we do and we will sin. The experience of sin does not forfeit salvation. Let me make that clear. The experience of sin does not forfeit salvation. Sin in its beginning, in Genesis, is what separated God and man. So therefore, God and man, their relationship was severed, their relationship was ripped apart, but all through the Old Testament, they were looking for Jesus. Now, after the New Testament, we're looking back at Jesus. And so sin cannot take away the gift that Jesus Christ has offered us. I say it like this. He's not an Indian giver. He's not going to give us eternal life and rip it away from us simply because we mess up. No, he died for us because we constantly mess up. Now, before we get into the role of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I want to say this. A lot of people come to this and say, well, this person, they used to profess Christ, but now they've turned and now they're atheist. What does that mean? Did they lose their salvation? I'm going to make this statement before we go, on, go any further. Some profess, but do, not, but do not possess life. Some profess, but do not possess life. And that is very vital in understanding eternal security. You can profess Christ all day long, but if you have never placed your faith, hope, and trust in Jesus and Jesus alone for salvation, you do not possess life. So therefore, it's going to be easier for you to wonder. It's going to be easier for you to turn your back on Jesus completely because you've never possessed the true life-changing power of the gospel.
And so there are people today in our churches that profess to know Christ, but do not possess the eternal life that he offers them through his sacrifice on the cross. And so today we're going to look at the Trinity and see, see all three parts of the Godhead and how it works in our salvation, which clearly points, I believe, to the security of a believer. So first we're going to look at the Father's role in securing the believer. We first see his purpose, the Father's purpose. We're going to look at Romans 8.30, and we're going to look at a lot of verses today during this episode, so you can jot these down, turn to them with me if you want to. But we're going to look at Romans 8.30. This verse says, Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. This bold statement could not be in Scripture if a believer could lose their salvation. You say, how come? If one of those could lose their salvation, then this statement could not be made. For example, the number of the ones justified would be different from the ones glorified. You say, what does it mean to be justified? Justified is what happens to you when you come to faith in Jesus. You obviously, you get saved, your sanctification begins, but now in the eyes of the Father, it's been said like this, it's just as you never sinned. You're not sinless, but it's just as you never sinned. You say, how come? Because the Son, has Jesus, has taken away all of your sin. And so now when the Father looks at you, he sees Jesus and his sacrifice, the payment for sin. And so you're justified inside of the Father. And look at the verse. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. So justified, we're justified right now while we're on earth. But we're not glorified yet because we have not been to heaven. We have not looked Jesus face to face. We have not, the rapture has not taken place or we have not passed away. And so if the number of justified people is the same number as the glorified people, then those that are justified cannot lose their salvation because there would be a less number of those glorified. I hope that makes sense. But this verse states that those who have been justified are also glorified. Secondly, we see the Father's power in our salvation, the Father's power in our salvation. Jude 24, Jude is just one chapter in our Bibles right before the book of Revelation. But verse 24 says this, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. It's clear here that God's power is able to keep the believer. Some claim if one renounces their faith, that that would render them unsaved. But we must remember how strong and powerful God's hand is. We cannot say that one thing that we could do or one thing that we could say is more powerful than God the Father himself. Jude 24, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. That last part. To present you faultless. So if one sin, if one wrongdoing could render you uh, not saved, then this verse couldn't say that they would bring you faultless before him with exceeding joy. So we must remember how powerful and strong God's hand is. John 10, chapter 28 and 29 says this, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. 
The promise here does not say no one except yourself can pluck you out of the Father's hand. It simply says no one. And so a lot of denominations and a lot of other believers have bought into the idea that, well, if I sin, I can render myself unsaved. But the verse says no man. It doesn't say nobody except you. It, doesn't say, it simply says no one can remove you from my Father's hand. And that's Jesus speaking. No one can remove you from the power of the hand of the Father. That's an amazing promise for you and I as believers as we struggle with this topic of the security of our salvation. We cannot be plucked out of the Father's hand. Satan cannot pluck us out of the Father's hand. Uh, you and I cannot pull ourselves out of the Father's hand. So if nothing can take us out of the hand of the Father, once we're placed there, how can we lose our salvation or how can we be unsecured? about our salvation. Now let's look at the role of the Son, Jesus, and his role in securing the believer. We're going to look at Romans 8 again, but we're going to look at more verses this time. We're going to look at Romans 8, 33 through 39. The verses say, Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect, meaning the saved? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or, or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long and are accounted as the sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we begin looking at the role of the Son in securing the believer. Based on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, can condemn God's elect. If any sin can undo the believer's salvation, and if in fact he can lose that salvation, then Christ's death did not pay for that sin, which it clearly did. He died for the sins of the whole world. The answer goes on to say, what can remove us from Christ? Absolutely nothing can take us out of the love of Christ. Look at the last two verses, 38 and 39. For I am persuaded, there's our, our podcast title, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the question is, what can separate you and I as believers from Jesus' love for us? Simply, he answered the question here in Romans chapter 8, nothing. Satan cannot, angels cannot, principalities cannot, powers cannot, nothing high, nothing low, nothing can separate us from the love of God. And so if that's true, not one sin can separate us from the love of God either. So we cannot lose our salvation. In John chapter 6, verse 39 and 40, says this, And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. 
Our Lord himself declared he would lose nothing of what the Father has given him. And so the Father, through the Son's sacrifice on the cross, the Father has given him the church. We are the church, a body of believers. We are Christ's bride. And so he's very clear. I will lose absolutely nothing of what the Father has given me, and I will raise it up again at the last day. What a promise. And so if a Christian could lose their salvation, it would say, well, I will lose some of what the Father has given me, and I won't raise them all up on the last day. That's not what the verse says. It says, I will lose absolutely nothing or no one that the Father has given me, and I will raise them all up at the last day, because this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son, being Jesus, and believeth on him, may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. And so everyone that believes on Jesus will be raised up with him on the last day. And that's an amazing promise. We have the promise that our loved ones that have died in Christ, they'll be raised up. We have the promise that we don't have to fear death because we will be raised up with Christ at that second coming and at the rapture. And so I'm excited for that. And so that is a promise in scripture that proves that we cannot lose our salvation because Jesus is not going to lose anything that was given to him. And then we go on, we look at Jesus's last words on the cross from John chapter 19. He says, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Those three words are one word in the Greek. It's tetelestai. That one word in the Greek means it is finished or paid in full. If we could lose our salvation because of one sin, he would have not said our debt, our sin debt was paid in full. Because at the time of the cross, we had not yet sinned, meaning the sins he died for were all future sins. And so if one sin could render us unsecure or render us unsaved, then Jesus would not have said it is finished or it's paid in full. But he did. He said to tell us that during that time, it was a legal term that would be stamped on papers when someone's debt would be paid in full. And so you say, what debt was Jesus paying? The sin debt of mankind. God the Father is so holy and righteous that he demands the payment for sin. But he's so loving that he didn't want us to pay for it ourselves. He sent himself, he sent part of himself, Jesus, to pay for our sins. And he didn't just pay for half of them. He didn't just pay for them on a temporary basis. He paid for them in full when he said, it is finished. The sin debt of mankind is paid in full. And so the very gift that Jesus Christ gave is eternal life. He offers us eternal life through his sacrifice. And so if we could somehow lose this gift, he would not have called it eternal in his word. If you study out God's word, often it's called our eternal gift or eternal life. So the word eternal is forever. The word eternal is never ending. And so if we have eternal life, if we have an eternal gift, then we can't lose our salvation. Because if it's eternal, it's not going to be removed. It's forever. It will last through heaven. And so, where do we come to the conclusion that we can lose our salvation if the gift is eternal and can never be removed? He wouldn't have called it eternal. Jesus is not a liar. And so, if the gift he's offering to us is eternal and forever, then we cannot lose our salvation. Another thing we see about Jesus and his role is his prayers. 
Christ has a present ministry in heaven that involves him praying for us, intercession and advocacy. His prayer in John 17 illustrates the intercession aspect of his prayers for us. There he prayed that we might be kept from the evil one and that we would be sanctified, that we would be united and that we would be in heaven with him, that we might be his, we might behold his glory. Hebrews 7:25 Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. So Jesus is constantly praying for his believers. And if he's praying for us, he's unceased with unceasing intercession for us, he is able to save us completely and eternally. And so because of his ministry for us right now, that proves that no sin is going to keep us or remove us from salvation. Then we go to advocacy. Comes into play in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. It says, My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. This takes place when we sin, Jesus being our advocate. He goes on our behalf to the Father. And so, you say, what does that mean? That means when we sin, Jesus doesn't say, okay, well, my eternal gift is, they don't have it anymore. It's removed from them. No, when we sin, Jesus represents us on behalf of the Father. Yeah, he says, Father, I understand they've sinned. I understand they've had a lot of wrongdoings, but they've accepted my gift. I was the propitiation for their sins, not for theirs only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And so if he would have just died for part of our sins, for a few of our sins, he couldn't say that in this verse, that he was the propitiation for the sins of the whole world. Again, if any sin can undo salvation, then Revelation 12, chapter 10 uh, should not be there. And it says, And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his, of his Christ. For the accuser, speaking of the devil here, of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. Let's look at that verse again. It says, For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Say, so what does that mean? That means Satan has this idea that every time we sin, he can go before the Father and accuse us. He can go before the Father and say, well, this person has sinned. They deserve uh, to be damned. They deserve to be cast out. They deserve to have their salvation removed. And while Satan is probably true there, it says, and they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. So if we, so, but if it were not for our advocate, we would be condemned. But the Lord points to his work on Calvary that removes the guilt of all of our sins, those committed before and after salvation. And this suffices, the, and this suffices a good answer to Satan's charge in our life. I read this excerpt from this uh, old story. The, the author is Martha Snail Nicholson. I just want to read this to you. She wrote, I sinned and straightway, Post-haste, Satan flew before the presence of the Most High God and made a railing accusation there. He said, this soul, this thing of clay and sod, has sinned. Tis true that he has named thy name, but I demand his death, and thou hast said, 
the soul that sinneth, it shall die. Shall not thy sentence be fulfilled? Is justice dead? Send now this wretched sinner to his doom. But what other thing can righteous ruler, what other thing can a righteous ruler do? And thus he did accuse me day and night. And every word he spoke, O God, was true. Then quickly one rose up from God's right hand. Wherefore, whose glory angels veiled their eyes, he spoke. Each jot and tittle of the law must be fulfilled. The guilty sinner dies, but wait. Suppose his guilt were all transferred to me, and that I paid his penalty. Behold his hands, my side, my feet. One day I was made sin for him, and he died that, that he might be presented faultless at thy throne. And Satan fled away. Full well he knew that he could not prevail against such love. For every word my dear Lord spoke was true. And so what truth we find there in that excerpt that she pinned down. Amazing. Satan, when we sin, constantly runs to the God the Father to try and accuse us. And he's right. We're sinners. We're faultless. We're dirty rags. But then Jesus stands up as our advocate. And he says, the law has been fulfilled. All prophecy has been fulfilled. Your righteousness, your holiness demands a payment for sin. But wait, it's been fulfilled. Because I offered myself as the propitiation for their sins. And my sacrifice is enough. Satan cannot combat the presence and the power of the salvation of Jesus. And so as we looked at what Jesus the Son has done in our salvation, he is the one that offers us salvation. So we see God the Father is the one that thought up our salvation. He kind of had the blueprints for our salvation. Jesus the Son is the one that preformed our salvation. And we see that through the life of Jesus and even currently, Jesus secures us. Nothing can remove us from his love. Nothing can take us away uh, from his love. And so it's an amazing truth that we are secure in Jesus. He would not have spoken the word to tell us die if all of our sin, past, present, and future, were not already paid for. Now we're going to go on to look at reasons related to the Spirit as we close today. Reasons related to the Spirit as to how we are secured in our salvation. First we see He regenerates. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to read a couple of verses. Verse number one says, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in times past you walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Skip down to verse four. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us or regenerated us together with Christ by grace, you're saved. What a great truth. And so the Holy Spirit has a part in our salvation as well. He regenerates. He gives us, uh, Ephesians 2 gives us the doctrine of regeneration here, which is literally the process of the Holy Spirit making you and I alive through Christ. We were dead, verse 1 says. Verse 5 says, you were dead, but now you are alive through Christ. And so if one could lose their salvation, they would have to render us dead again after being made alive. And so the Holy Spirit would have to unregenerate us, which the Bible never talks about. All we see is the Holy Spirit regenerates us. The Holy Spirit makes us alive. He quickens us. The Bible says we are brought from death to life. We're never brought from life 
to death. You don't find that in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, we see about the Spirit. He indwells. If salvation can be lost, then the presence of the Spirit within the life of the believer would have to be removed, and the Christian would then become disindwelt. So we see in the Old Testament, as the Holy Spirit moves on and off of people, that's how he worked in the Old Testament. But we're not living in the age of the Old Testament anymore. Jesus Christ has already paid for our sins. And so just as Christ promised the Comforter would come, and then Acts chapter 2, verse 4a says this, And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. From Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Ghost has been indwelling on the inside of every man, woman, boy, or girl that will place their faith, hope, and trust inside of in Jesus Christ. And so he indwells every born-again believer, and you never find, not once, in the New Testament where the Holy Spirit leaves someone that is truly born again. And so if we could lose our salvation, we would have to be disindwelt. The Holy Spirit would have to remove himself from us, and that's not taught inside of God's Word. Because for salvation to be lost, we are not forgiven, we are not redeemed, and the Holy Spirit could not be in us. We see, thirdly, he baptizes. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13 says this, For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, we have all been made to drink into the Spirit. As that says, for by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body. Baptism of the Spirit is what attaches us to the body of Christ. It brings us into the church. It brings us into the body. And for salvation to be lost, we would have to be removed from the body of Christ, which, again, is never spoken of in Scripture. And so he baptizes us into the body. Him, the Spirit, baptizes us into the body. And the Scripture never talks about us being removed from that body. Therefore, if he's not going to unregenerate us, if he's not going to stop indwelling on the inside of us, and he's not going to reverse our baptism of the Spirit, how can one lose their salvation? Because you can't be, a lost person does not have the Holy Spirit indwelling on the inside of them. They don't. So then we see the last thing about the Spirit is he seals. He seals us. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13 says this, In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. And then chapter 4 and verse 30 says this, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. And so the Holy Spirit acts as a seal or a gasket on the inside of a believer that ultimately secures us until the day of redemption, as chapter 4 and verse 30 says. Understand this, you did not put the seal of the Holy Spirit there so you cannot remove the seal of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit The Holy Spirit acts as a seal, so nothing can leak out and spill. If one could lose their salvation, Ephesians would say a Christian was unsealed until the day of redemption. Or Ephesians would say a Christian was sealed until the day of sin. Or Ephesians would say a Christian is sealed until the day they turn their back. No, Ephesians says a Christian is sealed until the day of redemption. And so I love that. And so as we close today, we've looked briefly, you know, there's a lot more we could say about this. We could talk hours on this topic, but we've looked briefly at the Trinity and how God the Father has secured us in our salvation, 
how Jesus the Son, uh, Jesus the Son has secured us in our salvation, and how the Holy Spirit of God secures us in our salvation. And so we have clearly seen through Scripture that the security of a believer is held not in your hands, but in the hands of God. You can rest your head today in knowing that you have truly been born again, and you will, you will be kept until the day of redemption. Whether you believe it or not today, you have security through Jesus Christ. But do you have assurance? Do you have assurance that you are kept? Do you have assurance that you are going to be sealed until the day of redemption? If you don't, if you struggle with assurance, hopefully today through a quick study on this topic, you can be more persuaded that he is able to keep you in his hand. And today, in this podcast episode with a joy that you are kept by the one that created it all. Imagine that. The one that spoke everything into existence. He died for you. He offers himself for you. If Second uh, Corinthians says, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And so he died for you so that you can live with him and live for him. So today, be persuaded that you are saved and you are saved eternally. I hope you can... Share this with someone that might struggle with assurance. And I hope today if you struggle with assurance, you're fully persuaded that you're secured in your salvation. Have a great Friday and God bless. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of the I Am Persuaded podcast, please consider subscribing and share with your friends. We pray this is a blessing in your life. God bless.